as we have opportunity this morning, uh, it's opportunity just to look at what God wants to say to us and uh, prepare our hearts for that. And as we have just prayed, I just want to share a story I just read recently. A four-year-old Susie had just been told the story of Snow White. Y'all know the story of Snow White? Uh, For the first time in her life, she could hardly wait to get home from nursery school to tell her mommy. With wide-eyed excitement, she retold the story uh, of the fairy tale to her mother that afternoon. After relating how Prince Charming had arrived on his beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Susie asked loudly of her mommy, and do you know what happened next? Yes, said her mommy. They lived happily ever after. No, said Suji, responded with a frown. No, they got married. <laughs> you know, for many people, that, that is the experience of their life, is they think about uh, the fairy tale stories, they live happily ever after, and they think, well, that's going to happen when I get uh, hooked up with someone and uh, make a, a lifelong commitment. It, it didn't exactly end up like a fairy tale. And as we think about what church is all about, church should be a, a, a place, if you're stressed today, that you're in a safe place. Uh, but as you think about that, if you're a little apathetic this morning, my, my, uh, my responsibility is to antagonize you a little bit, all right? And as we think about marriage, marriage is a place where many of you, as you think about it, uh, it just brings up all kinds of positive feelings and thoughts. And for some of you, as you think about marriage, it's, a, it's one of those things that's like a knife in your heart. And as we think about what God has to say to us, he, he wants us to recognize that he wants us to be in a place where we understand his plan and what he can do in our lives when we walk with him and follow him. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. As we're going to talk about an area in life in which we all recognize there's a lot of challenge in our world today, and it has been throughout history, if we're really honest. But particularly in America, it's become a little bit more of a challenge place as we think about the home. I was looking up some statistics this past week, and as we think about uh, just the state of marriage, one of the headlines in the Wall Street Journal just a couple uh, weeks ago said this, marriage rate plunges to lowest level on record. In, in the 1970s, uh, you could look around America and basically seven out of 10 uh, adults were living in a married relationship. Now it's five out of 10. As we think about people who take the option of, well, well, we'll just live together, and that's gone up sevenfold, but as you look at the results of that, those who choose to live together before they get married, 40% of those people who eventually get married in, in divorce. And as you think about what happens when people um, break that union, why does it happen? Here, here are the latest statistics on that. What, what are the top four reasons? One is simply a lack of commitment. The other is infidelity or abuse. Uh, one, just arguing too much or the inability to learn how to argue. And then just one that I think everybody can relate to, unrealistic expectations. And, and, and really this morning, the, the message is not about divorce. It's really about marriage. But I want to let you know that divorce is not the red letter that they put on your forehead and, and you've now committed the unpardonable sin. But what we want to let you know is that though there are times where one of the spouses cannot just make the marriage difficult, but they destroy it, is that God has a better plan for us as we think about joining in a union in which God from the very beginning, the very first book of the Bible, said that when man uh, was created, it was not good for him to be all alone. And so he created someone better. He brought in the woman into into this world. And, and, And when they came together, he considered it good and very good. And so the reality is, if that is true, then why isn't it not very good for a lot of people? 
And we're going to see sometimes it's simply because they don't have the giver of life living and empowering them uh, in their own personal life to, to live out uh, a way in which they are a part of the, the solution, not part of the problem. But also, they just don't follow God's game plan in, in the married relationship. So this morning, what we want to talk about, if you have your outline, I'll allow you to kind of keep me on track as we look at some just some basic principles in terms of what... Uh, the Apostle Peter shared with those who were struggling like happening in our world today in the married relationship. And we really want to look at making your marriage work. Making your marriage work. And you might be in that part of your life where you're looking at how am I going to make my next marriage work. But the reality is no matter what the struggle you're going through, God has a plan for your life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not married and you're not planning to get married but you want to be praying for others who are married. And then it's possible, you never know what might happen, you might enter into that relationship. And, and, and what, what is some things you want to pray for or desire to be if God brings you into that kind of relationship? But for marriage to work, the very simple idea here, it's going to take work to make it what? Make it work. And you know, there's a lot of four-letter words out there um, that can be used in, in a swear culture. Uh, but as you think about a four-letter word, work, that often is the most greatest challenge for us to think about. It's, it's really a lot on me what's going to really happen in the next step in my life. And that is particularly true in relationships. And, and really, in many ways, uh, these, rela- these principles on a relationship uh, are, are true in, in relating to anyone. Uh, in a healthy way that's going to make it thrive uh, rather than uh, really be involved only in striving and, and, and destroying that which could be a great relationship. So let's look at this morning as we think about um, not just um, people getting married, and, uh, but people really living happily ever after as we think about the challenge of, of making that union that God created. This is not something that it's a man institution. This is a God institution that will really work in people's lives. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have a Bible, if not, there might be one around you and one of the chairs around you, or you can just listen as I read. I'll be reading from the New American Standard translation of the New Testament, and we'll look at, I'll just read the entire section. It's only a short section, seven verses, but then we'll pick apart some of the things God has to say to us. All right, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. From this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And as you're reading that, particularly if you're listening to that as women, you're thinking, that's a lot he said to the women out there. How much is he going to say to the man? Well, he only gives one verse to the men. He says, you husbands, in the same way... Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will be not hindered. 
Only one verse for the men. Now, if you were making a comparative journey uh, in your New Testament, it would be to the left, uh, to the book of Ephesians, you'll find out that Paul gave a lot more verses to the men and just a few uh, statements to the women. And I, I want to just say this from the very beginning. As you think about the health of a relationship, many people look at the Bible and look at it as a somewhat of a chauvinistic book. Uh, when marriages are destroyed, the Bible puts most of the responsibility on which gender? The man. So I just want to let you know, women out there, when you think about it, it's, 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 a, it's a book in which you are the one is put down. The responsibility for the marriage to, to work out in a healthy way, it, the main responsibility is put on the man. Now, either spouse can destroy the relationship. But God desires for it to be a place where people prosper and they thrive. And as you think about making that most important decision apart from deciding is Jesus, Savior, and Lord, the choice to enter into a relationship in marriage is the second greatest choice you're ever going to make. And as you think about it, it's not a relationship you should make because you feel you have to, but because you want to. And this is, this is what God's plan is for us. And he's got some principles for us as far as how to live that out in a healthy way. So we're going to backtrack now and look at this passage and see what he has to say to us. But I want to give the overall backdrop of the book. We've entitled this little letter that Peter wrote to some people who had been dispersed in a foreign land, and sometimes that's how we are feeling when everything changes in our life, that everything has changed so much that we're totally stressed out. He writes this letter so that they might be filled with hope, and that they might realize no matter what's happening around you, no matter how close it is, you can trust in a God who has a future plan for you that no matter how it is now and no matter how it's going to be in the days to come, it's going to get better. Because he has a plan for your life. And he said that to a group of people that were wondering about what was happening around them nationally or in their world society. And he gave them some reason to have hope and a game plan how to live it out. He also talked about people who were struggling in the marketplace, in the workplace. Even people who were involved in a master-slave relationship. And he wanted them to have hope, a confidence that their future is going to get better. But now he gets down to a section in which... He wants to speak into the home. And, and, and when you lose hope in the home, it affects everything. And, and so he goes back and says, okay, I want you to have hope. And I want you to have hope in the home. And I want your marriage to work. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to require, for a marriage to work, it's going to require for you to work. All right? Well, he begins with the women. And there's a reason why he writes this way. Uh, and we might talk about it in a few moments. He says this, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, now stopping right there for a moment, that, that is, a, it's not a four-letter word, but for many, it's a curse word in the Bible. The wives are to submit to their husbands. Uh, but I want you to understand, he says in the same way. So he's, he's making an analogy back to what he said to everyone. He said, look, at, we're all in submissive relationships. We, we, none of us can escape that. There's always someone in a position of authority over us. There's always someone that we are accountable to. And he says, if you're, you're going to fight it to fight that whole 
challenge of living in a world in which you have other people, there's always going to be people in authority, and there's always going to be people who are responsible to follow. In the same way that you follow others outside in the world, uh, you need to recognize that there needs to be some order in the home. You need to realize that we all have relationships, and the word submit very simply is to arrange yourself under someone else to follow their lead. And so he speaks to the women this way. But I want you to know, as we looked at verse 7, he also says that to the husbands. In this, and he says, you husbands in the same way, uses the same phrase there that he uses to the wives. So there is a place that both men and women need to learn to submit. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, we have that very plainly written out to us where he says this, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Christ to God, even the Father. So he, he introduces it with a, a, a spirit of thanksgiving. And then he says this in verse 21 of chapter 5. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So in some ways, each one of us need to realize that we are to submit to one another. And you think about that. Uh, well, is there any kind of example that we could follow who did that? Is there anyone who maybe being in an elevated position was willing to submit himself to others? And all we have to look at is, and this is the answer you can always give to a question in church, the person we can look to is Jesus. Jesus, when he left heaven as God the Son and, and humbled himself to become a man here, he, he willingly submitted himself, one as a child to his parents, and then even as he lived out his life, the 33 years here, he submitted himself to the government officials. He submitted himself even on a personal level when he was up in the upper room and everyone had dirty feet and no one wanted to clean everybody else's dirty feet. And what did he do? He submitted himself, became like a slave and washed their feet. And so there was always times where either from a position of, of just uh, order and authority and and people being responsible for others that you submit to. But sometimes just on a relational level, you're willing to bow down to the needs of others when that's not even your responsibility. Have you ever been in that place? Well, that's not my job. <laughs> that's somebody else's job. Well, Jesus was willing to arrange himself under others when their need was one that he was going to meet. And so there's a place for both the husband and the wife to submit. But there is a place in a relationship where someone has more responsibility than the other to take a lead. And when we understand that, 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 that the world be, would be chaos if we didn't understand that, that principle. I want to read to you what Warren Wearsby says about submission. Submission has to do with order and authority, not evaluation. For example, the slave in the average... Roman household were superior in many ways to their masters, but they still had to be under authority. There came a place in the Roman Empire, which was part of what eroded it, is that the Roman citizen, after a while, didn't do anything. You know, uh, the, the slaves were the doctors and the professors and the, and the teachers, and they were the ones who did everything in society. They were the musicians. They were, they were the ones who uh, nourished the, the raising up of children. They, they did just about everything. And so in many ways, if you looked at it from just an objective level, the, the slave was much greater than the master in terms of their abilities and strength and skills. And he goes on and says this, the buck private is, 
in the army may be a much better person than the five-star general, but he still is a buck private. And, and so as we think about life, is we realize there are times when uh, in a workplace, uh, the one who is employed by the employer might know more, might be much more strategic and maybe a, a business plan, but whoever is in authority has that responsibility to lead uh, those under his or her responsibility. So submission is, is just a recognition that someone needs to lead. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but, but, but dance is a little bit different nowadays, last couple of decades, where, where you, you get people out on the floor and you, no one's leading the dance. They're just doing gymnastics, right? Uh, but it used to be in certain dances that someone had to take the what? The lead. And, and really, that's simply what he's saying here. There, there is a place where there is a place of, of leadership within the home. And as I've shared with you many times, leadership in the home is more and more about responsibility than it is dictating. You are more responsible to make that home live out in such a way that it thrives. And that's, that burden is put on the man. And let's be honest, if you work with people at all, most people don't want to be the leader. The reason they don't want to be a leader, because who gets criticized more than anybody else? The leader. And, and who has to make sure that everything's working right? Well, the leader. Now, they can advocate their leadership responsibility, but the reality, a good leader is one who takes responsibility for, the, for others who they are leading. But anyway, let, let, let's move on or we'll never get any further with this, all right? As we think about the home, this is, this is the game plan he gives, and part of it is submission. And as you think about the wives, he said this. He said, look, I want you to understand, if you're going to work at your, at your marriage, you need to understand that, first of all, you need to be submissive in the right way. In the right way. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, what is submission in the right way, particularly for the 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 woman in the home is to recognize that, that you don't do it with, with bitterness in your heart. You don't do it with resistance all the time. That you, you see that what you want to do is to make uh, the one who is responsible in your home feel good about what they're doing in the home. And in such a way that you would live in such a way that that, that person, and he's really speaking in this particular passage about living with someone as a wife to her husband who probably doesn't know the Lord. And, and what's the best way to, to reach that person who doesn't know the Lord and you do? Well, is it to preach at them night and day? Why not? Isn't preaching good? No, anyway. Yeah. It, it, you're not going to do it by just haranguing at them with things that you are convinced is true, but they're not. But what they need to see is that in how you live and how you love them and how you care for them, that you desire what's best in their life. And when they see that, they begin to realize that, that your life has been changed by the living Christ. And so you, you defer your needs at times so that the needs of your spouse are lifted up. And he said, if, if you look at that husband of yours and, and look at, wait, how can I help that person thrive in, in their role and their responsibilities? 
that, that spouse, that husband, is going to begin to look at you, you know, they treat me so well, maybe I ought to what? Treat them a little bit better. And not only should I treat them a little better, maybe I ought to find out what, what, what has changed in that person's life. What really empowers them to, to do what no one else would do is to be willing to submit in a, in a caring, sensitive way to someone who is, who is leading the home. And so we need to realize that there's a place where that women need to understand that, that you need, your, your, I guess your responsibility is help your husband lead well. You know, what the, you know what the hardest thing for a leader to do is when he has people, whether it's in a work environment or whether you're coaching someone on a team or, or whether you're trying to lead uh, people in your home, is when you, you lead and the people you're, you're leading refuse to what? Follow. You ever play the game, um, follow the leader? If you ever play the game, follow the leader, and, and, and you're playing that game, and all of a sudden you look behind, behind you, and no one's what? No one's following you. It ruins the game, doesn't it? I mean, what's, what's the point of the game if you're playing follow the leader, and you're trying to go over all these places and trying to see if people can do what you're doing, but they refuse to play the game. And, and that's what he's saying. Women, if you want to make your marriage work, then at least the heart of hearts, you want to be submissive in the right way. And in case you didn't quite get that, this is an all-inclusive type of thing as we think about submitting. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as a king is one in authority or to anyone who's governing over you. And so it's the idea of learning to follow. And when you follow well, you're going to make the leader much, a much better leader. But he goes on here because he wants to speak about attitudes as well. Not only should you submit and be submissive in the right way, he, he then goes on to character qualities. In verse 2, he says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And, and that really, again, to speak about not only what you should do, you ought to submit, which means arrange yourself under, which means to follow as best you can. And there are obviously exceptions. If there's someone who is leading you in any relationship, trying to get you to do something immoral or something that's Contrary to God's word, you've got to simply refuse to do that. But if they're not asking you to do something immoral or clearly disobedient to God's word, then just follow the leader. But when you do it, make sure that you're living out a life in which, again, is, is one that is God-honoring. Now, he uses a word in the New American Standard here that says chaste in your chaste behavior. It simply means uh, in, in, in the purity of your conduct. It means, it means spotless. It means free from doing anything that's questionable. It, it's saying, look, at I, I can, I can, you're living in such a way in which I not only see what you do in my presence, but I can trust you when I, I'm not around. One of, the, one of the things that destroys relationships is when one of the partners is extremely jealous. Can, you, can anybody relate to that or picture in your mind some people that, that have that kind of relationship? Is, is one of the spouses doesn't trust the other? And the reason, you know, they don't trust each other because I, unless, I, unless I'm in your presence, I'm wondering what you're doing. And, and when you're talking to someone else, all, all of a sudden I begin to wonder, well, what are you talking about? And what, what kind of connection do you have with that kind of person? But when a person is chaste, which means spotless, pure in conduct, 
pure in heart, not doing anything that would, would, would change the, the stability of that relationship is totally trustworthy. Trust me, that allows a marriage to thrive. And then he goes on and says, not only you're observing your chaste behavior, chaste, but also uh, your respectful behavior. Um, you know, one of the cardinal rules in, in our home is that, you know, we have four children. Uh, there are now four adults. But it, it, it was really clear, you must show respect to your, what? Your mother. And why don't everybody, anybody ever say father to that, you know? <laughs> You know, we all said mother. Well, why do we say that? Because whatever might be, I guess, uh, you know, in, in our home, I was a more the disciplinarian than, than my lovely wife is. She's so too kind and too generous and too sensitive. Okay. But, you know, and so they realized that they couldn't get a whole a lot away with, with me. But, you know, when I wasn't home, because Alice errs on being too kind and gentle, all right, is that sometimes they could be a little disrespectful. But it, we, we made that a cardinal rule. You show respect to your mother. Now, we all, we all almost intuitively know that that's right. But women, and this is, this is the challenge. I know I'm kind of challenged, but, but that's, that's what your husband needs to know about you to him. Not only do you put up with him, but do you respect him? Doesn't mean you always agree with everything they do, but no matter whether they make a, what you consider a poor decision, you're going to respect them because you know that they have that responsibility and you, you, you want them to, to flourish in the responsibility they have. And you respect him as a person. Peter goes on as he speaks into the life of the woman. And some of it is related to the culture of the day. But it's true for our culture as well. He goes on in verse 3 and 4. He says, your adornment must not be merely external. Braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person in the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And if I were just to put in a very simple statement, he, he says to the woman in the home, you know, it, it's all right to be beautiful on the outside, but even more on the inside. You know, some pastor teachers have said of that is that women should, should not ever get jewelry or nice clothes and they ought to just kind of live as, I mean, dress as uh, boringly as possible, to put it, I guess, plainly. I think it's, Dr. McGee says, you know, as you think about it, you know, if the, if the barn needs um, painting, put the paint on the barn, right? All right he's, not, he's not saying, women, that you should not address you know, well, it's not saying that you shouldn't be attractive in how you present yourself, not only to your husband, to, but the community in the world. But he said, if that's, if that's your sole attention, and, and you think really how you impress people is how well you only look on the outside, then you've missed it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the older we get, uh, do, do we look better or worse? 
Now, why did you guys say that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting old, all right? But, you know, look, no, ma- no matter how, uh, how attractive we want to be, there's only so much paint that's going to make the difference, right? <laughs> now, still, we, we ought to do everything that we can to, to be uh, attractive on the outside. We ought to dress well. We ought to try to be healthy and, and present ourselves as best as possible. But trust me, I, I remember, uh, I've got to watch my time here. Uh, I won't tell the illustration, then I'll just leave it there. But um, you know, he's saying, look, I, I want you women to, to dress yourself where you're beautiful on the inside. And he uses a couple of descriptions here. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. The gentle word here really has the idea of kindness and and caring about the people around you and, and sensitive to their needs and, and, and being other-centered rather than self-centered. The quiet here, and when I, when, I, when I first ever read this passage, I thought, well, that means that, you know, a, you know, a woman needs to be, um, uh, you, know, qu- you know, more, less talkative than, than uh, maybe she naturally is. But, you know, and that kind of goes grain to everything. Have you, have you read the studies about how many words men use in a day and how many words women use in a day? It's not even close. Let's trust me, all right? He's not talking about it. And we all know people have certain personality bent. Some people are extroverts and the people are introverts. He says you're not more spiritual because you're, you, you talk less than somebody else. But what he's saying is that, that when, when you speak, it's, it's where you lift people up and not tear people down. When, when you speak, it's not to draw attention to yourself, but to really draw attention to others. When, when you speak, you have something good to say, not something that's destructive to say. And it really comes from your heart. It shows what's really on, in on the inside. And let's be honest, you know, some are going to struggle with this more than others because you, you have a fuse and it's not long. It's what? It's short. But what are you saying is that you want to grow in this. You don't, when, when, when people think about what comes out of your mouth, they want to think it in terms of those are words of praise rather than words that you would criticize that person because of their habit of speech. Then, so as he speaks in this home, it would just radically change what happens in the home if, if you recognize that the, the, the woman, as she saw her role in the home, that she wants to help her husband thrive in his, his responsibility to lead well in the home. And when you think about her own behavior, she, she's one who could be trusted because of her chaste or pure behavior where there, there's no question about whether that person could be trusted. And, and really, when the husband thinks about her attitude toward him, it's, it's an attitude of respect. And, and then when you think about what's really important to her, I, I want to look good on the outside, but more, more than that, I want to look good on the inside. And, and really, we shouldn't take too much time on this one. I mean, <laughs> because I don't have any time. It is... Uh, he then gives a, a biblical illustration. He talks about Sarah. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, and that's the whole idea here, is that you need to recognize that no matter how much your marriage right now is struggling, there's hope. And why? Because you have hope in the institution, but because you have hope in God. And then he can, he, can, he can still do the miraculous. And again, you, you might be in a situation, a stage of life now that your past marriage is destroyed. But the issue is, what about the future? What does God have for you now? 
And he said, it used to adorn themselves as being submissive to their own husband, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, which is what I like Alice to call me every day, is <laughs> Lord Mike, all right? And you have become her children do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And you know, we could talk a little bit about this, tell the story of, of Sarah. And if you look at, we just talked about being beautiful on the inside, not just simply on the outside, and uses her as an example about being, being beautiful on the inside. She was so beautiful on the inside whenever Abraham, and we have no idea what he looked like, but we know that Sarah was a knockout. I mean, every time they went to the community, they wanted, the king there wanted to take her as his wife. But you see here, she had a heart for her husband. And as you think about having a heart for her husband, she was filled with hope and not fear. And that's, that's really the idea. If you want a marriage to work, then you have, need to have hope that it can work. And you're not just filled about what could go wrong, but what could go what? What could go right? But as we think about that, Peter didn't want to leave only the instruction to the, the women in the home, the wife in the home. He, he spoke to the husbands as well. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives. And I think he speaks back again that you, you are too men to be submissive to your wives. Submissive in the, in the sense that at times you're going to range yourself under, not in terms of your responsibility. You can't give up your, your, your responsibilities. At times you, you can give her um, opportunities to flourish and to lead in the areas of her strength. But you, you, can, you can at times delegate a, a, um, authority, but you can't delegate your responsibility because you are responsible for the home. And, and so there's a place where we see ourselves as servants in the home, just as Jesus set the example. So be submissive in the right way. But, but then he gets very specific with that. He says, uh, you, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, the word weaker there, it has no idea, it has no context in the sense that she's weaker mentally or emotionally or spiritually, but, but she's weaker physically. Now, there, there are some women that... Uh, are pretty strong physically, but he's using it in comparison to others and saying, and even if you look in culture, where is most of the physical abuse placed? Is it on the man or on the woman? It's on the woman, right? The whole Me Too movement. Is that a male-dominated movement or a female-dominated movement? It's a female-dominated movement about the Me Too, the men abusing the women. And that's what he's saying here. So we need to recognize that, that when we as men, get out of control that we need to recognize that is not a license to inflict abuse on anybody, and particularly someone who's weaker than us. I think any of us, if we saw a a man abusing a young child, that would fill us all with rage. And and he's saying, look, there's no place for a man to do that to a woman. And as he was saying that to this particular culture in that day, the, the common marriage age thing was a man was 30 and the wife was, the woman was 15. She was almost like a child. And it had been very easy for that man to abuse that woman in the home. And he said, there is no place for that 
in God's program. And really the idea of what he was saying here, I want you to understand that you are called men to live with the woman in your home, your wife, to live with her in an understanding and sensitive way. And that's really what he's saying, with your wives in an understanding way. Now, let's be honest, man. Now, as we just think about it for a moment. Probably as said as many times as, any, as anything else said to men in the home, it, is you simply don't what? Understand me. You, you know what the challenge, guys, for all of us is, is that we need to be experts in terms of discovering and discerning and understanding our wives. We need to make it our goal to, to, to clearly have a perspective in every way they see things. And so when they respond in a, in a different way than we do, and I commend any of you react to this, how can I, don't you sometimes just think this way? Why, why can't they just be like me? Okay, Roy, you and me are the only, I guess, person to ever think that way, right? You know, why can't, why can't they just respond to life like I do? You know, it's, it's so much better if they would, right? You know, that, but that's, that's not our goal is to somehow compare them with ourselves. We need to say, well, how is it that they're responding this way? And, and how can I pre, be, be aware of it even before it happens? And, and when it does happen, don't respond with surprise. And, and when it happens again and again, then I say, well, what is it I can do to, to deal with her in such a way that I show her I love her and care about her? And not always wanting to fill in the blank here. I don't always want to what with my wife? Fix her. Anybody want to fix your wives out there, man? Now, my wife doesn't need to be fixed, but I mean, the rest of you might think that way. Okay. You know, sometimes, we, you know, we, we want to, you know, I usually give Alice a sermon with a, with a poem, you know, and trying to think, this is what you ought to do. Okay. You know, we're not, we're not called to fix our wives. We are called to understand our wives and, and treat her as a, as a precious person that we don't want to in any way make her feel weak or unimportant. We, we, we want to elevate her. And, and, and this is the emphasis of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is that I'm really convinced that no wife would, would struggle with the whole idea of being submissive if they saw their husbands as one who loves her like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her and sees his role like Jesus did to sacrifice himself for the sake of his wife. And that's living with your wife in, a, in an understanding and sensitive way. Now, just like, and we understand, just like with Jesus here, it doesn't mean even with his apostles or those who were following that, that every time he told them something, they liked what he said. Or, they, or they, were willing, they, they were eager to go in the direction he was leading. But everything he said to them and every direction he was going to was for their benefit. They just understand it and believe it at the time. Now, of course, Jesus never made a wrong decision. He never made, you know, a misdirection for 
his followers. And we as men will do that. But at the heart of hearts, we're not doing it to abuse our wives or make our wives unhappy. We really believe this is the best for them. And the more we understand them and more we're sensitive to them, we know even not only what to do, but we become learn the timing of how to do it. But this, this other statement here is so crucial as well. He says, and, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I put it this way this, as far as the bullet point. Not only be submissive in the right way, be understanding and sensitive, but, but be honoring to one who is worthy of your honor. Now, for all of these attitudes, both for the men and the women in the home, they said, well, yeah, but what, what if that's not true at any moment? Does that mean I don't have to do it? You know, marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. You know, I do my 50%, she does her 50%. It's 100% on both parties in the home, which simply means this. No matter what the response of the other person is, I'm going to be 100% in on God's plan for me and how I live in the home. And as you think about this, you know, should I respect my husband when they're doing something that's not very respectful? Well, you might not be able to respect their actions, but you can respect them as a person. You can respect them at the position of what they are in the home, which is the man of the house, the leader in the home, and the responsibility they have. And the same thing for the man. Well, am I supposed to honor her when... She She's not acting very honorable? The answer is yes. And he, he says here, because why do you honor her? Because she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. And in case it's not clear, there is, no, there is no hierarchy in terms of how God sees the two genders, the man and the woman. Galatians 3 says that there's, there's really nothing different between a male and a female. And now he, God knows the difference because he made us, the difference physically between a male and female. But in our position before Christ, we are equal. And so the husband always needs to recognize that that woman in the home is his equal. And he needs to honor her as that. And Jesus died just as much for her as he died for us. That, that, that woman in the home, that, that wife that God has given us, is of immeasurable worth. And we ought to value her as such. And we ought to consider her needs much more important than our own. I heard this the other day that was kind of challenging. He said, you know, often what we do in, in life is that we, we focus on the other person's faults and our needs. And what we need to do is reverse that. We need to focus on our faults and her needs. Does that make sense? Is that, is it, it, it's easy to see the faults in somebody else's lives. Isn't that pretty true? I mean, it's just... It's in front of us all the time, and so we focus on that. And then we look at our own life and say, well, well what, about, what about the things I need? You know? And we, we just, it just stays with us. And so we need to radically change it. If we really honor the person, I'm going to 
not focus on what's wrong in their life. I'm going to focus on what's wrong in my life. And I'm going to look at their needs before my own. And really what I want to do is I want the marriage to thrive by doing my part, being responsible for everything that happens in the home. And then he just throws this in by way of motivation, uh, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Some have put it this way. They said, as you really look at the husband's responsibility, it's in the physical area, it's the intellectual area, it's the physical area. You dwell within that person, in that home together. And so everything physical, you're, you're living with each other and you're responsible for what's happening physically and with intimacy with that, that, that woman that God has given you as your, as your wife. It's intellectual. You need to understand. You need to be an expert in your wife and how she, how she, how she lives and what's important to her, how, how she ticks and what ticks her off, that kind of thing. You, you need to emotionally be concerned that she sees herself of immense value. You honor her. You lift her up. She's weighty in your mind. She's of extreme importance. And then you need to be concerned for what happens in the home spiritually. And sometimes when we think about what God's doing in our life, when, when, when it's not right at home, you know, spiritually, we are almost hopeless. And God's primary person on your prayer list ought to be your spouse, your wife, because he wants that to be right. So what's the point this morning? <laughs> the point this morning is that God, God wants our marriages to work. But for it to work, it's going to require everything from us to allow his spirit to live his life out through us so that we live selfless lives for the sake of the one God has brought into our life to be our life partner. Now, for some of you, you're on the other side of that whole challenge of, of living out that marriage that, that, that you were in. And all I want to say, that there is hope for you, that, that God is, is the great forgiver of all of our sins, and he is the one who can restore and repair, and he has a future for you. And so just trust him. Don't be filled with fear. And for those of you in a marriage right now, might, might you recognize that, that God wants your marriage to thrive. But for that to happen, we got to do our part. And, and for those of you who are not in that relationship, well, all of us can be challenged to pray for marriages that are, that are thriving, but also those who are struggling. Asking that God would protect and guard their hearts. Allow them to see that, that God has a plan for them. And God's way is always best. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, you want what's best for your people. In fact, you want what's best for everyone. And it all begins with understanding that you are the giver of life. You're the giver of physical life, but you're also the giver of spiritual life. And, and Father, I would just really pray for each one here. 
whether they're in a broken relationship, whether they're in a relationship that, that you want to bless, whether they're looking uh, to the future about what you might have for them, might we all realize that, that you, you are able to take our hearts and our lives and, and mold it into a, a, a way that not only is good for us, but it's good for our life partner or that partner-to-be, or or to live in a single life concerning caring about the people around us. But Father, it all begins with knowing you. And and Father, I just pray for each one of us here that we've come to that place in our life where we've admitted our need and and turned from that which is wrong in our life. Father, I pray that we have come to that place where we really believe, believe that Jesus is the one who died on our behalf on the cross and rose again so that our sins could be forgiven. And might we choose to commit to follow you as our Lord, the leader of our life, and our Savior, the one who who restores us into a right relationship with the living God. Help us to be a submissive person, submissive first of all to you. And might we just fully trust you with every relationship in our life. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.